Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 25 through 37. Now, if you turn there, you, you'll see that this is a very familiar and very popular message, uh, not only within the church, but just everyone knows about the Good Samaritan. Uh, but we need to really look at this again with, with fresh eyes and, and, and to listen with fresh ears to hear what God wants to, wants to share with us. And I hope that he will convict us and he will move us uh, to compassion and mercy. All right, let's give our full attention as I read uh, God's word for us. It's going to be up on the screen for you guys to follow along. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him to, to, te- uh, to, stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, but he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Amen. This is God's word. So what we see here is an interesting exchange and dialogue between a lawyer and Jesus Christ. And when we hear a lawyer, we're not thinking about an attorney of law, but we're thinking about an expert of the laws of God. The first five books of the Old Old Testament, the Torah, he was an expert. And he comes to Jesus with a very pressing question, a question that's uh, utmost of importance. He asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? How do I get salvation? How, how can I be saved? Right? And Jesus, knowing what this man or what kind of man this was, probably by his attire, his dress, his clothing, knowing that he's a lawyer, he turns the question back on him. What does the law say and how do you read it? And then the lawyer, lawyer uh, gives an excellent answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19. And he provides an excellent summary of what the law requires. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says something very surprising and shocking. In response to this, he says, you answered correctly. And that's a huge compliment coming from Jesus, who created the law. He says, do this and you shall live. Now, the gospel radar within us should go off. Because it sounds like Jesus is advocating a workspace, a deeds-based, a performance-based salvation plan. But for us who grew up in the church and know Christianity, we know that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. It's a free gift of grace. You cannot earn it. Right? You can't achieve your way into salvation in heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Because it sounds like a, a workspace, performance-based salvation plan. So we need to read it more like this. Jesus is more like, he, he's saying, go ahead and try. 
go ahead, give it a shot. See how far you will get. On your own power, on your own ability, go ahead and try to do this command, do these two commands. Now, now let's, let's try to unpack these two commands. The first command, love the Lord your God with your entire being. Not just compartments of our lives, but our entire life. Not just Sunday, but every single day. Make God your, the primary object of your affections. Make him the center of your desires, your ambitions, and your pursuits. Even your thought life, make him the center of it all. Love God with your entire being. Now, I want to challenge us. Try to do this for just two hours. Try to have God the center of your entire life and just love on him. Try to show affections to him. See how far you'll get. Two hours. Let alone your entire life. Because why? Our hearts are so fickle. Right? We, we, we love the things of this world. We love lesser things. We attach ourselves to created things or even to another human being. But what this law is asking us is, love the Lord your God with your entire being and never stop loving him. It's impossible. How about the second command? Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I love myself so much. I, I can't stop thinking about myself. I can't stop loving myself. I, I, I feed myself three, maybe five times a day, depending on how stressed I am. Uh, I, when I'm dirty, I clean myself. I, I try to dress myself appropriately. When I'm tired, I sleep. I do such an amazing job loving myself. Don't you? We're so good at loving, our, loving ourselves. And what God's law is telling us is love another human being with the same amount of detail and effort that you love yourself. Guys, I can't love my own wife as much as I love myself, let alone my kids. My kids and my family, I can't even love them as I love myself. But what God's law is asking us, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Once again, this is impossible. How can any human being say, stand before God and say, God, you know what? I do love you in this way. And I do love my neighbors as I, do, as I love myself. There's absolutely no way someone that reads these commands say, and, say, and concludes, I do this perfectly. Let me into heaven. Who can do this? See, the lawyer correctly explained the, the, the law and what the law required, but there's no way that he can stand and say confidently, I do these things. The only way the absolute only way someone can look at these two laws and say, God, I actually do these things is, is one, you would have to dilute God's law. You would have to bring it down to our level. You got to make it more palatable, manageable, right? That's the only way. Or the second way is you're delusional. You're absolutely delusional to think that you can love God and love others in this way. You have an inflated, you exaggerate your own religious, religious efforts thinking that that will suffice. That will get me into heaven. You have to either dilute God's law or you are absolutely delusional to think you can obey these two commands. And this is, this, this is what gets uh, the lawyer exposed because he asks a follow-up question. He asks a follow-up question and from this question, we know he's, he's diluting God's law. 
What is that question? Who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And it is this question that prompts Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this question tells us that this lawyer had a faulty, defective interpretation and application of God's law. He made it more palatable. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus goes on and talks about this famous story about the Good Samaritan. And instead of entertaining the lawyer's question of who my neighbor is, because the lawyer wants Jesus to identify his neighbor for him. Instead of ask, answering that question, he describes what it means for us to love our neighbors. It's not about who's my neighbor. It's about, are you being a loving neighbor? You guys understand the distinction? He doesn't even answer the question. He talks about what it means for us to love our neighbor, what it means to be a loving neighbor. So what does it mean for us to love our neighbor as ourselves? Church, what does that mean? What the Good Samaritan tells us, and the example that we get is to loving, being a loving neighbor and to love our neighbor is to extend mercy to those that are in need. That's what it means. To extend mercy and grace to those that are in need. So I want to ask three questions regarding mercy. Three questions regarding mercy. First, who qualifies who qualifies for our mercy? Second question, what is the cost? What is the cost of mercy? And lastly, what is the source? What is the source of mercy? So first, who qualifies? Who qualifies for our mercy? The reason why the lawyer is asking this question, who is my neighbor, is because he's trying to justify himself. He wanted Jesus to validate his own interpretation and application of that law. Right? He wanted to verify. He wanted to validate himself. Because he has his understanding of how to love his neighbor, and he's hoping Jesus would validate that. This is what the lawyer is wanting to hear. Your neighbor is your fellow Jew. Your neighbor is a fellow Israelite. So if you love a Jew, if you love your fellow Israelite, then you have obeyed this command. That is what he's hoping Jesus to say. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus now corrects his misunderstanding of the law. But if you think about it, the main character actually in this whole passage is not the Good Samaritan. The main character is actually the lawyer. And who's the lawyer? The lawyer is us. Why? Because we want to qualify who we love, who we show grace and mercy to, don't we? We, 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 we want to qualify who I show mercy and grace to. Because God forbid he would want me to show grace and mercy to my enemy. God forbid he wants me to show grace and mercy to someone that has a religious, different religious conviction. Maybe a different sexual orientation. Maybe a different political view. Maybe someone that's hurt us and wronged us. God forbid that he would ask us. So that's why we're the ones asking the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus, qualify that statement for me. Because you wouldn't ask me to love someone that I cannot love. We do the same. We want Jesus to qualify his commands. And in the same way the lawyer is trying to dilute God's command, we do the same. Because it's hard to love some people, isn't it? It's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to love who do, who, those that do wrong in our lives. But what Jesus wants to show us through the Good Samaritan 
is that we are to show grace and mercy to any neighbor who's in need. Any neighbor who's in need. And so he shares a story. So there's a man who's on this infamous road called the Jericho Road. It is on a steep hill surrounded by mountains that have caves and caverns in it. Perfect spot for robbers to hide, to, 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 to rob people that are, that's going by. And that's what happens to this man. He gets robbed of his stuff and he's beaten, left for dead. He's half dead. Who comes by? First, a priest. So, so I just want to make sure. When Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't specify who this man was that got robbed and beaten down. But it's safe to assume that he's a Jew. Right? He's a Jew. And then who walks by? A priest. A priest is a Jew. What does he do? He looks at him and he crosses over to the other side, passes by. Second time, who comes by? A Levite, another Jew. Seeing another fellow Jew beaten up, robbed of his stuff, what does he do? He actually comes and looks, but then he passes by as well. They do absolutely nothing. If anyone was qualified to be a neighbor, it was this beaten man. But yet, the Jews, two Jews, religious individuals, pass by. Now, there are reasons why they did this, which is not important. It's, it really isn't really that all, all that important. But the fact of the matter is, they left their fellow Jew to die on that road. But what happens next? Someone that we will never hear Jesus actually say comes by. Who's that? A Samaritan. Why is this such a scandal? Why is this so controversial? Because Jews and Samaritans did not get along, and that's an understatement. They absolutely detested each other. They hated each other. A Samaritan would have grown up, trained. If he saw a Jewish man on the ground, half dead, he would make sure to stomp on him to make sure he's actually dead. That's how much they hated each other. Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They were impure. They weren't fully Jew. That's why there was such a hatred between both Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus decides to use a Samaritan to model what mercy and grace is. This Samaritan has no business helping this man out, but God uses the good Samaritan to tell us that we are to love and extend mercy and grace to even our greatest enemies. There would have been a collective gasp. A Samaritan? God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, oh Jesus, you wouldn't talk about a Samaritan in this way. That's what he does. If we try and qualify grace and mercy, we've no longer are acting, we are no longer acting in grace and mercy. If we try to Look at others and, and, and see if they deserve grace and mercy. You will know you're, you're defeating the very definition of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy is to the undeserving. The most unlikely people receive grace and mercy. But that's what we're called to. That's the type of love that, we, that, that, that Jesus wants us to, to extend to our neighbors that are in need. But how often... How often do we hesitate? How often do we withhold our love, withhold our grace and mercy to others? We, 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 we withhold it. We don't want to give it because they did wrong to us. They don't have the same view of marriage as I do. They betrayed me. They stabbed me in the back. 
My parents left me. I can't give them grace and mercy. They've hurt me too, too, too much. My scars are too deep. God forbid you would ask me to extend mercy and grace to my greatest enemies. But that is the mercy that the law requires to give to those that are in need. See, brothers and sisters, if we fail to extend mercy to someone in need, we fail to see the image of God in them. You know what that means? We're dehumanizing them. We're dehumanizing them. We're saying they're less than human. The good Samaritan, who was an enemy of the Jew, showed grace and mercy. It's not who's my neighbor. The question is, am I being a loving neighbor? Am I loving others as God would want me to? So who has God placed in our lives, in our path, who needs grace and mercy? Right now, today, who? Who has God placed in our path that needs grace and mercy? It can be a family member. It can be that homeless man that you pass by every time on the way to work. It might be your brother or sister. It might be someone actually in this room. It could be your coworker. It could be your boss. Who qualifies for mercy? Anyone. Everybody that has a need. That is a, that's what it means for us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So then what's the cost? What's it going to cost us to extend mercy to others? For the Good Samaritan to extend mercy to this man was a costly one. Notice the expression of his mercy. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Wow. This is to his enemy. Immediate treatment of the wounds. He forgoes his own ride. He puts this Jewish man on his ride, takes him to an inn, stays the next day, gives two denarii, which is basically what some commentators say is two months of room and board. Two months. I think about a hotel price for two months. Right? Probably food included. And then he says something to the innkeeper. If you spend more, if you end up spending more, I'll come back and repay you. To an enemy. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. The ministry of mercy comes at a high cost. There is no way around it. For this Samaritan to show mercy to this man meant rearranging his schedule, giving up his money, spending multiple days, giving up his own comfort by giving him a ride, and then more money if necessary. Mercy comes at a high cost. It, 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 it asks us to pay that price. See, it's not good enough for us to just be aware of the humanitarian issues, although awareness is good. It's not good enough for us to just sit behind a computer and just click like on each post that we, we see saying, oh, I've done my deed of mercy. It's not good enough for us to just share an article about a humanitarian issue. Oh, I shared with my friends. Oh, I feel better about myself. No, that's not mercy. Now, don't mishear me. Those things are good things. Awareness is necessary for us to move in action, but that is not what mercy is. 
Mercy calls us out of our comforts, out of our, in, out of our own convenience to serve sacrificially to help someone that's in need. That's what mercy is. That's what the Good Samaritan tells us and shows us. But so many of us, as soon as there's a hint of discomfort, as soon as I have to reschedule something, as soon as there's a, like, we make up any excuse for us to not pay the high, pro- high price that mercy requires. Mercy calls us to sacrifice ourselves for our fellow brothers and sisters, for our neighbor. See, the lawyer's understanding of loving a neighbor was cheap. It was comfortable. It was convenient. But the love that Christ calls us to is costly, uncomfortable, and inconvenient. See, what, what, what the original question, right? What must I do to, uh, to inherit eternal life? The Lord was not interested in eternal life. What his, he was interested in was living his own life and wanting to live that same life in the next life. He wanted to maintain his own lifestyle in the next, next life to come. He didn't want what God really, really had for him, what, what God really required for eternal life. He just wanted to live his same life in the next life to come. That's why he asked the question, who is my neighbor? trying to make it easier. See, the lawyer's understanding of the law of God and Jesus' explanation of what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, there's such a huge degree of separation. Right? There's such a huge discrepancy of the lawyer's understanding of love your neighbor as yourself and how uh, how Jesus explains it through the Good Samaritan. It's just so huge, the disparity. And so Jesus asks him one last final question, verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Again, we hear that command. You go and do it. Try it out. See how far you get. How does one do this? How does one extend mercy and grace in this extravagant, radical, sacrificial way? Right? Maybe I could do this to my wife. Maybe I could do this for my children. But to my enemy? To a random neighbor and a stranger? To a homeless man? Who can do this? And again, we should feel discouraged. We should feel hopeless. Because the fact and the truth is we can't. That's the whole point. The reason why God gave us his law is not so that we can find a way to earn our salvation. No, the reason why God gave us the law is to make us desperate for salvation. We need to be saved. We needed a savior. But what we try to do is dilute his command and try to actually do this. And we fall short. We fail constantly. So the last question, what's the source? How can we get the capacity to show this type of love and mercy? How? Where do we go? The only way we can actually share and extend and demonstrate this type of grace and mercy is if we've been profoundly, if we profoundly experience this type of mercy and grace. There's no other way. There is absolutely no other way that we can show this kind of of mercy and love to our enemies. Because the fact is we were 
God's greatest enemy. We are hostile towards him. We fail to live according to his law. We, we choose lesser lovers. We worship different idols. We were enemies of God. And what does God do? He gives us the fullest expression of his mercy. He gives us Jesus Christ as a demonstration of his mercy. We didn't deserve it. We weren't even looking for him. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross to demonstrate, to show us what mercy really is, what grace really is. And so we now get to experience that, that mercy. It's not something, it's not a byproduct of our goodness. It's not a byproduct of our own, uh, uh, something that we just conjure up within ourselves. No, it comes outside of us. This mercy comes outside of us. We cannot do this. We can't. We got to first experience it. And we do in Christ Jesus. We do. We have an opportunity to. But it's not easy, right, to cry out for mercy. It's not easy to cry out for mercy because we're, we're competent people. We're skilled. We're gifted. We have so many things uh, on our resume that we can look at and be proud of. But this is, this is the, the, the scandal of the gospel. And this is how uh, subversive and how countercultural the gospel is. You can only experience the mercy when you cry out for it. When you cry out for it. This is what Paul says in Romans 9, 22 to 24. He says such, uh, this is so important and profound. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath, which we were, Right? Before Jesus Christ, we were vessels of wrath, objects of wrath, deserving his judgment and condemnation. Which he has, okay, his vessels of wrath prepare for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he has called, not for, from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. His mercy is available to all. In Christ Jesus, before Christ, we were vessels of wrath, but in Christ Jesus, we are now vessels of mercy. We are objects of God's mercy where he pours out his love. He pours out his compassion. He pours out his grace. This is how we can be merciful. This is how why, this is why we can be gracious because now we have his mercy and his grace. We were deserving of God's judgment, but instead we get his goodness and his love and we become vessels of mercy. Although we were God's greatest enemy, he sent us loving Savior, his own son, the ultimate good Samaritan, who didn't pass us by when we were not half dead. We were dead in our trespasses, Ephesians 2.1. We were dead. He then passed us by. He gave us Jesus Christ, the perfect neighbor, the ultimate good Samaritan, to lay down his life, to pay the ultimate price, not just room and board, not just to give up his comfort, but his life, his blood, so that we can experience God's mercy forevermore, his grace forevermore. He paid the highest price. And that is why Romans 12.1, Paul says once again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In view of What? In view of what? In view of God's mercy. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. 
See, having received the riches of God's mercy in Jesus Christ, we are now able and called to extend grace and mercy to our neighbors, to our enemies, those that are in need. So who are those neighbors in your lives? Are we going to be that loving neighbor that Christ has called us to be? Just to close, what does this look like for the church? What is this going to look like for us? Now, obviously, we shared with you guys one of our neighbors. We've intentionally chose Hope Gardens because they are faithful in preaching the gospel. They're about holistic care, holistic ministry. I sh- we shared with you guys two things today. Very simple. Just go into your closet and get some clothes. And give a bag and love your neighbor. Give that bag to your neighbor. Give that bag to your coworker. And as you do it, do it prayerfully. God, help me. Help me to be bold to share why I'm doing this. That is not just for humanitarian effort. It's actually for the gospel. It's because Jesus loved me in this way. Can we do that, church? Can we love our neighbors at Hope Gardens by, by doing this very simple act? The second thing we have with Hope Gardens of VBS, we get to love the children of Hope Gardens. And they want men there. Why do they want men? Because they don't see men, men role models. All they see is women, mothers. But they want to see men interacting with these young children because they need that. End of June, four days, three hours, that's it. If you're free and available, please come and see me. We have a team of eight already, but we're looking for more. We want a one to two or one to three ratio with the kids. We want to love on them as much as we can. The second neighbor that we've decided to partner with is Chapel of the Hills. They're a church in Sunland. Every second Sunday of every month, we go and, and share the gospel. We also prepare a meal. They're literally our neighbors, and they're homeless, desperate, hungry. And we can see that as a cause. And next Sunday is what? Mother's Day. But again, the mercy, there's a high price to pay for us to extend mercy. You can reschedule. You can find a different day to celebrate it. But next Sunday, we're going to put this in practice. We're going to love our neighbor as we do ourselves. And it's only for four hours. Church, we are called to the ministry of mercy. It is not optional. I pray and hope that God would open my eyes to be able to see the image of God in others. And I hope that the gospel will move in my heart and make its way to my arms and to my, to my feet into my mouth so that I can share the gospel love with others. That is my desire for us at this church, that we won't just be interested in, in just being entertained at church or, or f- being fed to the gospel, that we can actually share and extend his mercies in this area but beyond. But how do we do that? Receiving the mercy first. And his mercies are new every single day for us. Can we experience it today? Can we experience it right now? Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you that you made us vessels of mercy when we should have been vessels of wrath. Instead of, instead of experiencing your condemnation and punishment, you gave your own son to die on that cross so that we can be vessels of mercy and be instruments of your mercy to those that are broken and lost in this world and beyond. Father, I ask that you'll Work in our hearts at this time. Help us, Lord, to receive your mercy. Help us, Lord, to experience your mercy right now, knowing how good you are, knowing how great and mighty you are to save us.
Help that gospel truth not just stay with ourselves, but may it make its way out of us. May we act in love, even if it costs us. Help us, Lord, to act in grace and mercy to our neighbors, Lord, in Hope Gardens, to our neighbors at Chapel of the Hills, to maybe even our family members, to those that have wronged us. Help us, Lord, because you have shown the riches of your mercy in Christ Jesus. Move us, help us, grow our hearts, increase the capacity for us to love even our greatest enemy for your glory and for your namesake. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.